The following broadcast is produced by Brookside Meeting House Companies, LLC, doing business as Forget-Me-Not Ancestry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jane Wilcox, and this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Welcome to the show. This morning, uh, we have another great show. We are researching the five civilized nations today. Uh, My guests are Billy Stone Fogarty and Rick Fogarty. Uh, We're going to be looking at the history of uh, what's called the five civilized nations uh, and learning about where they were from Uh, We're also going to uh, talk with uh, Billy and Rick about how they go about researching. Uh, This is one of their specialties uh, for researching uh, Native American ancestry. We're going to find out why people uh, want to uh, find their Native American ancestry. Uh, And then they're going to share some some stories of of, uh, research that they have uncovered. Um, so I met Billy, uh, I think, within the last year or two. Uh, she is the Association of Professional Genealogists uh, president. Uh, so I met her at one of our conferences. And I also met Rick, actually, uh, just this year at the uh, Professional Management Conference in Fort Wayne. Um, so I'm delighted to uh, have uh, both of them on the show. So welcome, uh, Billy and Rick. Thank you. Thank you. Delighted thank, to be thank here. Thank you. Yep. Excited <laughs> to be here, Jane. Thank you. Oh, very good. So, uh, just, uh, as I ask all of my guests at the beginning, uh, what's uh, you know your background, where you were born, raised, your education, and your careers? And so, uh, let's uh, start with Billy. Uh, well, I was born and raised in uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma, and uh, by education and by training, I uh, was a teacher, and actually, still am a teacher. I have switched from public school teaching uh, history and social studies to uh, youngsters to teaching a more personal history to adults mostly. And so I'm that, that was my background and career. I am now a full-time uh, professional genealogist. That's what I do day in and day out. <laughs> okay. And then your specialty is uh, Native American? Yes, um, we live here in Oklahoma City, where the American Indian Archives is located at the Oklahoma Historical Society, and uh, we so we have access to the records there. And so we, uh, everyone in Oklahoma has always considered themselves to be part Indian, and so we spend a lot of time tracing those family stories and some we are able to verify and some we are able to give them their real history and sometimes that's a surprise to them (laughs) okay all right we're going to talk about some of those uh, later on so rick uh, same for you uh your background where you were born raised uh education in your careers um well i was born in tulsa oklahoma um and i was raised in oklahoma city um my education is kind of a i've uh, I've never kind of figured out what really what I wanted to do, so nothing stuck all through uh, through my college experience. Never could figure out one thing, and uh, 
music, music was, uh, I guess my past life has been as a musician. So uh, that was always a consistent thing. And um, so uh, probably over the last 10 years, I've kind of been helping, uh, helping mom or Billy as I, Billy as I call her, I call her mom. But, um, <laughs> so you'll hear me refer to her, to her as mom. So everybody can laugh about that. It is my mom. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, so I, I would I would go and help her um, work on some of the genealogy stuff at uh, at the office and um, of course genealogy I grew up around it um, I am I'm a third generation so my grandmother and my uh, and then mom and uh, and now me uh, it just uh, it, it kind of felt right and and uh, my my adoption I uh, I am adopted and I uncovered my own adoption. Um, story and uh, I think mom kind of went wow you're really good at this and uh, then we joined forces and so now we're the power team so. all right and so how long have you been doing uh, genealogy professionally uh, for, for Billy uh, well I have for uh, at least 15 years it's kind of hard to tell exactly <laughs> I've took my first clients probably 20 to 23 years ago, uh, paying clients, and then decided, huh, I must be doing this professionally, so it's time I do it right, and joined uh, the Association of Professional Genealogists and uh, have been doing that ever since. I, I was interested in genealogy from an early age, uh, probably from uh, a book, a small little unsourced book that was uh, had my that my grandfather had, and it was telling about his surname and and it traced his history back. Now, I was ten, uh, fifth grade, and it because it traced his uh, surname line back to the Revolutionary War, and that's. At that time, that was uh, we had just studied that in school. It it kind of left that question of, huh? I wonder if Peyton B. Cornwell, who was my ancestor, was affected by the Revolutionary War. He was born in 1774, so did it affect him? And that kind of question was there for a good many years, and. Uh, Eventually, I had to find out the answer to that question. As the historian that you are, yes, <laughs> I, I have that too, I, very much mm-hmm. so. so. So, Rick, how about you? you you've, you've talked about uh, you know having genealogy in your life uh, since you were a kid. Uh, you know what mm-hmm. what was it that uh, really sparked your interest in genealogy? And then, how long have you been doing it professionally? Well, I think when I was a kid, you, you know, we hit every cemetery and uh, roadside historical marker from, you know, here to <laughs> the East Coast and West Coast. So uh, so I got used to stopping at cemeteries and tromping through. and um, So it was always kind of there. Um, probably... Probably just watching mom mom build her business, and I would go to the office and, of course, pull off pull books off the shelf, um, uh, just start looking through them and and, and going through the files. And, and we always uh, at, at holidays, um, 
it kind of became a little bit of a tradition that we had a, a, a story written about an ancestor, um, and that ancestor would be there'd be the story told around a campfire, and um, so that was always kind of neat to to get those unique stories about your family. So I think it always it was always something that's kind of sat in the back of my mind for a long time until I finally said, yeah, until the I think the adoption uh, until wanting to find out my own issue. Um, and that's another, I, I forgot to mention that my specialty is, uh, Native American. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, with DNA, uh, adoption, um, uh, forensic work. So, um, so that, that, that kind of piqued my interest. Um, and then I think professionally, uh, it's kind of hard to, it's been so much fun. It's like, I think five or six years, I've, I've kind of lost count. So, um, but I think one of the things that really drew me into professional genealogy was um, forensic was getting really big at the time, and it was just it, it was kind of different. It wasn't it wasn't the typical um, looking at generations going back. It was looking for generations, um, looking for living people. So that's always been kind of a, a fascinating uh, aspect of, of genealogy that um, that that at least drew me in. So. Okay. All right. So then let's uh, talk about the five civilized nations. Uh, so just in, in, I think starting with broad terms, where were they located, uh, you know, the, kind of their, their history uh, on North America, and then what happened when the Europeans arrived? Well, the five civilized, uh, five civilized tribes, and, and one of the things that's kind of interesting, it's kind of a, kind of a mixed term. Um, it, it's not necessarily... Uh, I don't want to say a good or bad thing. Um, it's kind of been accepted into the five civilized, using the word civilized, I think is what I'm, what I'm referring to. So it's been one that's kind of uh, been accepted into at least that particular group. But the term civilized is, can kind of be a little bit, um, oh, I don't want to say demeaning, but at the same time, some, some people are kind of, it, it can be a little bit offensive, I guess, in certain ways. Um, so one of the things I've started doing is uh, talking about southeastern tribes. I kind of I'll refer to them as the southeastern tribes because we kind of the, like the, the Iroquois Nation or Confederacy, um, and then some people have started using like the Mississippian because that's part of the and that's what really what goes back to the history of it is a lot of these a lot of the tribes the Cherokee, Choctaw, Seminole, Chickasaw, and uh, Choctaw are all kind of based off the Mississippian culture um, or all all part of the Mississippian culture. Uh, which is the southeastern United States. Um, you had uh, the Choctaw, pretty much in kind of the Mississippi, um, Alabama area. Um, uh, the Cherokee around oh, um, uh, northern Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, uh, and Alabama, and then the Florida Seminole down around Florida and up into into Georgia, uh, lower Georgia, and then the Muscogee Creek. Um, right on the Alabama-Georgia line, um, pretty centrally located, central north. Um, and uh, the Chickasaws being kind of more, uh, oh, northern Alabama to more into uh, Tennessee. So, so I mean, that's it's kind of hard not to, uh, if you're looking into deep ancestry like that, uh, especially looking pre-colonial, you're starting to get into um, – the early, early, early colonial periods of the United States. So um, the uh, – and then the tribes, one of the things to remember is 
the tribes, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot, because when you have that many groups um, into that, that area, you're going to have battles over land. So the, the tribes had a lot of, uh, a lot of wars over, over the boundaries of their nations. Um, and that, that was, that became some of the first documentation when you had, uh, you know, the, the federal government coming into, uh, coming into skirmishes between uh, warring tribes. Uh, but okay, and so then, yeah, I'm, I'm in my research is in the Northeast New York. I'm very familiar what mm-hmm. happened when the Europeans arrived. I, I'm a sure. I'm a Mayflower yeah. descendant, so you know I, mm-hmm. I go back, you know, in uh, New England ancestry. So, mm-hmm. what what was the experience of uh, the tribes when the Europeans arrived in the Southeast? Well, I think some of the first contact came from. Uh, the first contact was, was obviously Spanish, um, so a little bit different than the, the Northeastern. There was a lot of early Spanish contact, um, and I, I think just like we learned from the history books, they brought, not only did they bring um, their desire to find, uh, to find, I think gold was probably the biggest thing they were looking for, um, but what they brought with them was they brought uh, diseases and they brought uh, Basically, enslavement. Um, they they went in and they realized that these cultures could be manipulated, so they they uh, they enslaved some of the tribes and used them for their their labor while they explored. And um, so, a large portion of the the southeastern tribes were destroyed by disease um, brought over by the Spanish. So that's that's probably the earliest contact you're going to find. And that also happened in the Texas. Um, that's one of the you'll see that a lot into like the, the Galveston Bay. You'll see ex- the Spanish explorers coming up in through Texas, um, and you see a large portion of people who died um, either at the hands of the, the explorers or died because of the disease. So. Okay. So, in in I'm going to kind of contrast what mm-hmm. I know of New England. Uh, so, in sure. New England, uh, you know, the, the the Puritans, the Euro- Europeans, set out. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. For genocide, Did, was that yep. the case also in the southeast? I think yeah, geno- genocide definitely was the. I, I think that there was um, certainly by that, by default with the with the the contact with with uh, Spanish settlers, um, and then you start to move into the you start to move into colonization. One of the things that you start to see is. Um, you see a lot of intermarriage. Um, so getting into the uh, getting into the eighteenth uh, and eighteenth century, um, you're going to see um, settlement into the in, into Georgia and, and North Carolina, and you have uh, you have a lot of Scottish, specifically with the Creeks, um, really with the Creeks and the Cherokees, a lot of Scottish. Um, Involved in the uh, in intermarriage with with the the with a lot of women from the tribe, and um, so you have names like uh, John Rawls, uh, McGillivray, uh, uh, Macintosh. So you'll start to see a lot of the first um, uh, mixed race. Uh, so the Scot and uh, and Indian, and these became the later leaders in the tribe around the period of removal. So you're going to see those are going to be named the Macintosh, McGillivray, Ridge, Ross. You're going to see those names start to come back up um, 
into the 19th century when removal, uh, and a lot of the names are, those are the names that are on the treaties or were chiefs at the point when removal started to take place. Okay. And, and Billy, do you have anything to add? Um, you also had many of the religious groups uh, having missionaries to the Indian tribes at a fairly early time. So mm -hmm. you had uh, you had a great deal of intermingling uh, with between the societies. Um, I also want to point out that the the five civilized tribes are not um, they're not one group of people. That each of those tribes have their own histories, and uh, they vary as to where they were located and what they were doing and how they interacted with the the Europeans who were coming in. And but you did have an eventual um, acceptance of the type of government and society. Uh, the the organizations that um, that the Europeans had with uh, with uh, supreme courts and uh, whether they called them chiefs or governors or or whatever you had a different uh, organization that was different from most tribal government. Um, in other in plains indians uh, for instance but you had you had regular uh, records and of course the cherokee ended up with a uh, cherokee alphabet so you have a, a lot of um, persons in the tribe who are literate mm -hmm. and so you have that that's one of the reasons that whole term of five civilized tribes came into being is because the European uh, conquerors, if you will, recognized that they had uh, they had uh, organizations and and stru governmental structures similar to what uh, what the uh, others had. So, so. So those were in place before the Euro Europeans arrived. They they were in place in different uh, manners. You, yes, you had governmental structure. It it was adjusted and uh, changed by the European contact, but uh, you know they were they easily adapted to some of the structure, and so it it was recognized, and they formed treaties, and uh, you you have a whole series of treaties back and forth. Uh, between the, not only between the United States, but there were treaties with the uh, the French, the Spanish, and the and the uh, English uh, prior to that. To to kind of to and to kind of add to what Mom said, th those treaties. There were a lot of treaties. One of the things too that you did, that we see a lot with the, those individual tribes is, um, a lot of the tribes had two factions. They're um, specifically with the the Cherokees and the Creeks. Um, is you'll have uh, you had two factions, and around the time that, that these treaties were being written, you would have uh, one group who was pro-treaty and one group who was anti-treaty. Um, so that caused a lot, and that's specifically into the revolution. Around the time of the revolution, the American Revolution, you have a lot of war between the tribes um, within the tribes over um, over the signing of these treaties. So. Um, specifically with the creek, you have the upper, the upper and lower creek, um, and you had 
you had basically political assassination um, for um, uh, for signing treaties. There, uh, one of the Creek chiefs was was was, was assassinated for his for his signature on that treaty. So they, uh, so yeah, the treaties happened, but they were also pretty contentious within the tribe. There was a lot of a lot of war between the the, the factions. Okay, and was there a confederation like the Iroquois uh, among the the southern tribes, southeastern? Um, not particularly. No, um, most of the tribes are pretty independent. Um, and again, you have those those land boundaries that um, you have. You know, Creek Cherokee Wars. You have. Um, there, there just was a lot of encroachment on territory um, even before colonization, um, and then uh, after the after the colonists came in, I think that was one of the things that showed uh, when you talk about George Washington, who uh, part of the reason he wanted some of the he, he wanted the Cherokees was he saw that they were he saw how they reacted um, in in some of their wars with the with the, the Creeks. And um, he saw that they were good fighters, and, and um, that was also kind of an issue you have is, you know, who sided with who. You had certain tribes who sided with the Spanish. You had certain tribes who sided with the English. You had certain tribes who sided with the French. So um, so there never really was any I, – I never have seen really any one uh, solidified group. Um, I think towards towards the period of removal, um, when everybody was going through the same situation – there was a little more. Um, you saw a lot of like Tecumseh coming down and speaking to uh, to groups of Indians, and it, and it wasn't specifically um, any one tribe. It was it was uh, a unified. I think everybody kind of realized this is happening to, to each one of the tribes, and and so um, they started to kind of band together a little more, and you didn't see nearly as much uh, uh, intra-tribal war. Okay. All right. Before we we move. Uh, post-revolution, is there anything else you'd like to to tell us about the history um, before the war? Mm, um, No. I I, I think I'm okay with where we are. All right. So then then let's talk about after the American Revolution, when, uh, uh, as you've mentioned, the removal uh, started to happen. So what what was going on? Uh, now we've got the United States. Well, well we we, we still had um we still had the desire from uh, the um uh, the Europeans to move into the areas that were in the boundaries that were set for the tribes and the the tribes themselves didn't uh, didn't view land in the same way that that the Europeans did, and so sometimes there was a misunderstanding about what was meant um, by certain things about the treaty. It was um, it, it, the desire always on uh, for what the Indians had uh, seemed to be insatiable, and uh, so you have. Uh, following the Revolutionary War, you have several Indian, different Indian wars at, at, at different locations for differing periods of time. So you always have that that kind of. Uh, sometimes they work as allies against the British or the French or whatever, and sometimes 
the Indian <laughs> tribes would be uh, opposing the uh, the new the new Americans, and so you have uh, you always have this give and take, and and all of the the removals themselves really didn't start until um, about 1830, and so you have several years in there of of back and forth and and changing alliances. Uh, but uh, once uh, once gold was discovered on Cherokee land, in uh, mm-hmm. they started it. It was coming soon, and uh, so the the whatever you call them, the treaties. They uh, some were moved before the forced removal. Some moved uh, on their own accord. But uh, you have a a period of time in there where you have forced removal to the the west into what's now Oklahoma. Okay, and what do you mean by by forced removal? What what's that all they about? They were they were uh, told that they must leave their homelands uh, and would be given land in the West, and they were rounded up into stockades in various places and forced to march, um, mostly by foot. Some were by uh, overland. Some were put into uh, boats and, and moved by water. But there were uh, a forced removal with uh, soldiers in blue coats escorting them out of their homelands and into an area uh, that they were totally unfamiliar with. Okay. And do you know about how many people were forced or went voluntarily before the forced removal? Mm. I don't know the numbers on that. It's a little hard you see some figures sometimes but um the number of deaths during the the forced removal was uh the reason they call it the trail of tears uh and so you had so many who died uh, both during the forced march and also during that first year time of starvation and so you it was not an easy time. It was not a time that uh, any of the the tribes looked back on uh, with anything other than extreme sadness. And, uh, sure. It's, it's it's probably what I've seen is approximately about seventy to eighty thousand who were removed or or immigrated. Um, there were some who who did immigrate who left early um, who who accepted the terms of the treaties. Um, but the ones who didn't accept the terms of the treaties were, again, forcibly removed. Um, but about 70,000 to 80,000 is one of the numbers that I've seen. Um, it's kind of hard. I think it's hard to tell um, because of the number of deaths that happened, too. That's um, by nature of the of the of uh, what you'll hear is the Trail of Tears um, or um, my ancestors came through Texas um, so there were, I mean, there was, and like like Mom said, there were several different, there were several different paths. There were waterways. I think one of the most, the one of the most uh, uh, accepted paths was through um, uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Um, and there's a, there's a uh, Trail of Tears State Park, Trail of Tears Museum, um, to visit it there. And I'm, I'm sure the numbers there, um, but I think it's, I think it's hard to get an accurate number on on how many, how many actually moved. 
Okay. All right. And uh, uh, actually, we are going to take a break right now. Uh, we will come back and talk about researching uh, the tribes. Uh, this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we'll be right back. Forget-Me-Not Hour, Your Ancestors Want Their Stories to Be Told. As you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, you're going to see a uh, share button. Uh, please share the Forget-Me-Not Hour with your friends and family on all of your social media. You'll also see a follow button. If you uh, click that, you'll receive an email letting you know when the show's going on the air, what the topic is, and uh, who the guest is. Um, you also can take advantage of the archives on uh, the Blog Talk page. Uh, we are completing six years, uh, six year, at the end of, uh, actually, November uh, in 2010 was the first Forget-Me-Not hour. So there are wonderful shows for uh, for six years, uh, shows that are timeless. So take Please take advantage. And you can also get the uh, Forget-Me-Not Hour on iTunes uh, under Jane E. Wilcox, so you can take it on the go. Um, so today we are talking about the five civilized nations. My guests are Billy Stone Fogarty and Rick Fogarty. And one more uh, history question before we move into the research. And uh, just uh, very briefly, uh, what happened when they got to Oklahoma, uh, they were put on reservations. Were they separated by tribe onto the reservations? Um, and then we'll leave it at that because uh, we, we actually have time limitations uh, for today. So we'll leave it to right after they got to Oklahoma. Well, once they got here, the, those who had left early were considered the old settlers. 
And so they had already uh, established themselves. They'd been here several years. They already had homes set up and and uh, farms and and places. And the 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 newcomers then had to kind of settle into uh, around them and and uh, all of that. There 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 were areas that were designated for a particular tribe. But there also was intermarriage in, among the tribes, and so you would often have people living outside of what was set aside as their tribal boundaries. And so you had, you had a, a bit of a getting used to each other and figuring out how to handle the, the recent move that, that they had made. Um, it often, when they started identifying... Um, tribes in such a way that um, they were an enrolled member of a tribe, uh, they had to be living in a certain area, and sometimes that required a move from where the people had been living. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about uh, your clients. You know, People come to you. They want to prove their Native American ancestry. What are the reasons uh, for this? Hmm. We often get requests uh, about the time when um, a family, a person will have a child who is uh, along about a junior in high school and they are looking at colleges and they they believe that there might be um, funds, scholarship funds or other kinds of, of funding uh, for uh, educational benefits. Um, or sometimes just having the designation as being a minority, does that give them a leg up on trying to get into a particular um, university or a particular program? That's one of them. The other is uh, we have people contact us uh, believing that there are uh, health benefits that that if they go on to the Indian health care uh, laws that that will somehow cover their health care costs. Um, the, sometimes we will have businessmen who are looking for a minority status in order to receive preferential treatment on um, perhaps they're a contractor or whatever. Some contract for work by either uh, sometimes the federal government or a state or even a, we've had them for a county uh, governments. They want to do work for them. Um, the other thing that we we are seeing more of is a a not a wanting to be a tribal member for <coughs> personal gain, but for just the knowledge and mostly to prove those stories that have come down through the family of of someone uh, being a, a Native American. They want to know the truth to that. And so we, we do have that one. Um, so it it sometimes it's just a matter of curiosity. And so we'll, we have all all different types who are trying to find this. 
Okay. So except for the people who are, are curious to know whether they have an Native American ancestry, uh, which – uh, you know, could be anywhere in their family tree. Uh, for these mm-hmm. others, is, is there a guideline that says, okay, you know, we now consider you to be Native American because you have a quarter, uh, you know, Native American, or, is, you know, is there some type of designation like that? Well, the obvious designation is, are you a member of a Native American tribe? And if you qualify for membership as a tribal member, then there's no question. You are considered to to be um, a Native American or at least part. For the five civilized tribes, one of the things that is different than some tribes is that there is no um, blood quantum. There is no requirement for being a certain percentage so it's it's different for other tribes some some require a, a much higher uh, degree of you know how much Indian are you matters and so for uh, each of the the five tribes, that is totally unimportant it's if you have someone on the Dawes roll. Uh, and the final Dawes Roll of 1906, if you have a direct ancestor who was listed on that roll and you can prove back to that person, then you are accepted as a member of that tribe, regardless of the uh, of the percentage of, you know, how far back it is. It really doesn't matter. That's okay, different and then what is, tribe. Okay, and what is the Dawes Roll? The Dawes Roll was a a listing of people who were considered to be um, members of uh, each of those tribes, and they they had interviews. Uh, People had to apply. Uh, It wasn't just granted automatically. No one went around and said, "Oh, you are Indian. You need to apply for this role." And so it was a a final listing because at the time they were trying to um, trying to give land that had previously been uh, allotted to the tribe as a whole. They wanted to give the land uh, to the persons who were members of the tribe and have them hold it in their own name rather than in the tribal name. So there were a great many people who were denied membership as a tribal member for various reasons. Um, it was not a it was not done by the tribes themselves. It was uh, an act of Congress, and they did interview them. They you, you had to apply. They interviewed. Uh, there were challenges. Uh, there were court cases uh, following uh, the. Uh, the exercise, and so you have a, you have one role. Other tribes have different um, places that mark, you know, this is a member of the tribe or this is not a member of the tribe. But for the five civilized tribes, the Dawes role is the uh, one important one. That was not the only role that was taken. 
uh, and to be uh, to be placed on the final dog's roll, you had to be placed, you had to have been found on other roles or your ancestors were on other roles that had been taken previously in, in various time periods. But, okay, uh, that was going to be my next question. Why were some people rejected, um, or, you know, some of the reasons for rejection uh, to be on the Dawes rolls? So it, they, they were using other documents as well. Yes, they were. Uh, you had to apply. You had to uh, fill out all sorts of uh, affidavits. You were questioned, and if the if the answers uh, were not, if if they deemed the answers not appropriate, you couldn't name all of the people, your ancestors, say who who were living where they were supposed to be at the time they were supposed to be. Then it would be rejected. Um, you also had to prove. Um, you, they would have to say what role were you uh, listed on? What uh, Cherokee, for instance? What you know were you listed on? And then uh, then they would have to say yes or no. They were on a particular a tribal role prior to that time, uh, and sometimes they would be listed on roles under an Indian name. Sometimes under the the uh, name that the English name they were given uh and so sometimes on those testimonies you will find both names will be listed or various names you will find uh different marriages and uh family relations who they were who they considered their father or mother and uh sometimes aunts and uncles uh, a lot of information way beyond just listing a name on a a particular role going to behind that particular role to the testimony to the questionnaires how they fill those out uh, has a lot of genealogical information for people wow interesting so in addition to the Dawes roles and and all of the documents that were created uh for that the questionnaires the testimony what other, other types of records do you use in your native american research mm. uh well as as <laughs> has been mentioned a lot of different roles at different time periods and sometimes those are not called roles they will be called oh um allotments, um, bread money, um, uh, blanket money, any kind of listing that will give a person in a particular location at a particular time. Sometimes these are uh, records that are considered federal records where they have been compiled and uh, turned in by Indian agents. Uh, sometimes they will be records that are part of the uh, government of the tribe themselves. And so they will have different names. And um, you it, sometimes it's just a list. Sometimes it is uh, um, court cases, um, the the list is rather endless as to what 
types of records that we have to look at. Uh, finding them is sometimes a matter of knowing what you've looked at and, and where to go and um, it's not there's not one place that you go. It's many places. Okay. All right. And then regarding land, would you use land records? You know, on a reservation, is property owned individually? That's that's one of my favorites to use. I I, I love the land records. Um, And and that's the land records. A lot of them are based off of um, off the Dawes because that was that was when they were dividing up the land in Indian Territory um, for uh, for Indian settlement. They were there's there's pieces of land that they were giving away, those tracts of land um, that they were allotting. Those were um, in direct relation to the Dawes cards, to the Dawes records. So um, you had you have the Dawes records, then you have the um, the affidavits from when they enrolled, and then what works with the the Dawes cards and also the affidavits are these land records that will have. Um, the application for the land allotment. Um, it'll have the the plat, the actual uh, physical description of the land, and then it will have um, the families listed. If there were, and especially if there was, it was because even the minors were even even minor children were given land, so that land would have been held by by uh, by one of their family members, one of the older family members, and they'll be listed on those land records too. So it's it's kind of a perfect mix of um, showing airship in, in in a lot of the land records. So I, I, that's that's one of my favorite places to to look is land records, just because you see such a good you see you see really good ancestry in those in those documents. Okay, all right. And then Rick, how does DNA come into play in your research? Um, DNA, DNA is it's kind of a slippery slope right now. Uh, DNA on one side, um, DNA, currently there, there are no tribes that are going to accept DNA. So if you take a DNA test and you come back with, um, if you come back with uh, 16% um, Native American, you're not going to march into a citizenship office and say, oh, look, I've got my DNA test back and, um, you know, sign me up. Because, one, yes, it can tell you Native American ancestry, but it doesn't tell you a tribe. It doesn't tell you um, any really any qualifying information other than you match this particular ethnicity group um, that others match. Um, the other problem with it is that you have um, there's Native Americans. When you see New World on some of the tests, that that doesn't just mean um, Five civilized tribes. It doesn't mean Iroquois Confederacy. It doesn't mean those. Also goes into uh, Central American uh, and into Mexico. So you're dealing with a very, very, very broad um, ethnicity, um, and there's and 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 it's just not quite at the level of being able to say these are the tribes. That, this is the tribe that you belong to. So on that end, DNA doesn't really help you with other than just saying, oh, I you know I have quote unquote Native American ancestry. Um, two, on the other side, you have um great things like um cousin matching. 
um, where you can uh, we're using we're using it for genealogy in the sense that um, we're finding people that um, finding lines that we we didn't know about. So we're able to break down brick walls that we may have on lines that we weren't aware of in our own family, and that may be a line that has Native American in it. That may be a line that you didn't you didn't know about. Um, so so on the genealogical side, um, in terms of research, it's great. I love DNA for that for that that use because you're able to start putting family trees back together um, where there there there's missing pieces and missing branches. So. Okay. All right. Uh, so on that note, we are going to take another break. This is the Forget-Me-Not Forget Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we will be right back. Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. We will be back on the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, that's December 7th at 10 o'clock uh, in the morning, Eastern Time. And the topic is going to be New York Town Historians. Uh, my guests will be Barbara Russell uh, from the town of Brookhaven in Suffolk County and Nancy Kelly uh, from the town of Rhinebeck in Dutchess County. They are both town historians, uh, one from a large town and one from a small town, and we're going to find out what the role of town historians is in the state of New York and how they can help genealogists. Uh, so that, again, is on December 7th at 10 in the morning. And the third Wednesday of the month uh, is uh, December 21st, also at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're going to be looking at the Presbyterian Historical Society, which is located in Philadelphia, and the, uh, my guest will be Beth Hessel. She's the executive director of the Presbyterian Historical Society. So uh, we're going to take a, a look at the history of uh, the Presbyterian Church uh, and how it came to America. And then we'll talk about the types of records and uh, that the Historical Society has in Philadelphia. So again, that's on December 21st at uh, 10 Eastern. If you have questions uh, for my guests, uh, if you have any ideas for uh, show topics or any feedback for the show, please find me at janeewilcox.com, J-A-N-E-E-W-I-L-C-O-X. So today we are uh, talking about uh, researching the five civilized nations. And uh, Billy and Rick, we've, uh, uh, we're coming up uh, to the end of the hour, and I'm wondering if both of you are available to uh, extend by maybe five or ten more minutes. Sure. Sure. Okay, great. Um, because... We're getting to my favorite part where you're going to tell us some stories. But before we do that, um, so with the forced removal, were there actual lists made of, of people or, or, you know, in terms of names or, you know, will we find anything like that? Not per se. Uh, you have different lists uh, of those who were in charge of groups. Um, and for some of the Cherokee, because they were later, they witnessed uh, what uh, the the creek had to go through. Um, 
and I believe the Choctaw were before them as well, they saw what that was and they asked for the right to form their own groups and be under their own leaders to lead them forward. And so you have some lists of those who led the groups, but there's not, there are not con- uh, complete listings of those who were on uh, what became the Trail of Tears that I have found. Okay. All right. Then in broad strokes, um, can you offer some research uh, tips for people who are researching uh, one of the five civilized nations? Uh, broad strokes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most or of or people... tiny strokes, or whatever, you, whatever you'd like to do. <laughs> most of the people who are trying to find their Native American ancestry are those uh, who are mixed race. You won't find somebody who is 100% of a particular tribe. They know they are. They're on every list. They have all of that. It's those who have lost the connection with the tribe. Um, usually it's intermarriage, and you, the the Native American assimilates into the uh, the dominant society, which in most cases is going to be, uh, for lack of a better term, white society. Um, that that means that connection with the tribe has been lost. They don't have any of the the, the tribal connection. They're not listed on on anything now. So so you're really going back in time, and usually how we start for those people is uh, to start with themselves and to find as much information as they can about those closest to them, and nobody ever wants to do that. They want to skip back, you know, multiple generations because they say, oh, well, I know that. I, I know about my own. Well, they end up finding... Um, oftentimes when they come when they get a brick wall and they come to us, we have to start back uh with more current records than what they wanted to start with and dig down deep to find out what those family stories actually are, who has you know what's the story from different perspectives, uh, not just from your grandmother. What about her sister? What about her brother? What was their story? What do they remember? And then we use the traditional uh, research methods, researching those uh, census records, birth certificates, death certificates, marriage licenses, all of those traditional research methods in order to make sure we have the right person. Uh, names are often mistaken. If you know, Just because uh, you found a John Jones uh, doesn't mean it's your John Jones. And so making sure that we have the proper person in the location uh, at a proper time is sometimes how we are able to solve those. Then... Once you get, if you have looked in every census roll and you have all of your family members 
and you can find them in the regular U.S. census back, you know, to 1790, say, chances of you finding anything connecting you to an Indian tribe are going to be almost completely zero because they weren't living as Indians. And so sometimes we have to we have to do that. Well, when you get to that wall, when you get to the place where you cannot find your ancestors, then it's time to start looking in the Indian records. And that's a hard thing for people to, to go. The other thing is it's not easy and there's not one place you can go. It takes time to uh, trace these. Sure, if I have somebody who comes, they uh, they have somebody on the dolls roll, my goodness, that's that's easy. We can find that with no problem. But mm-hmm. it's the ones that are who who were integrated into the the majority population at an earlier time that we have difficulties with. Rick, do you want to I think you pretty much summed it up. That was <laughs> I couldn't think of anything to add to that. <laughs> okay, and yeah. I think there w- there was an example of this on the genealogy roadshow uh, where a, a young woman uh, really did not know her Native American ancestry, and it turns out that her her uncle was a Navajo code talker during World War II. Hmm. Wow! And huh. and she was connect she was connected to uh, the aunt, uh, and and she had no idea what her her heritage was. Um, yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. So the tips that yeah. you just gave, uh, can can people apply that to Iroquois Confederacy, to the Plains tribes as well? Um, to a certain extent. Part of, uh, part of the beauty of those that are a part of the five civilized tribes is the amount of records, uh, written records, that survive that are not part of the federal government's records. The the tribes had their own written records, and those are a treasure trove of information. Not all tribes had that. Um, some, some tribes you have to depend on what was written by the Indian agent and turned in to, uh, through the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Those, those records, although they're extensive and they're wonderful, they're different because they're written in from the viewpoint of uh, a non-Indian in most cases, where you have the records that uh, that are written by the tribal members themselves give a different viewpoint. And so I guess for all tribes and for all Native American ancestry, I would recommend that you, if you believe you're Sioux or believe you're Navajo or, or whatever, that you find out as much about that tribe and its history as you possibly can. Read everything you can get your hands on. Okay. All right. So then what percentage of your clients actually do have a Native American ancestry once you've done the research? Hmm. Well, that's a hard one to answer. Um, it depends on how um, willing they are to continue working. If, they're, if they're, their only motivation 
is for some benefit that they can get. If they are looking to be a tribal member because of what they can get from it, then usually once you prove that no, we don't have anyone that we can tie you to that was on the final dolls roll. Therefore, you will not be considered for membership uh, in this particular tribe. If they then, if that's their only motivation, then they aren't uh, they aren't motivated to look further. And so, those um, I don't know that I could give a percentage. It's not as high as they would like. That's for sure. Uh, on the other hand, if a person is committed to finding the truth, whatever that may be. Um, tracking down those stories sometimes sometimes what the truth is is so much more fascinating than uh, than proving what they believe uh, for instance I had one they this was one that uh, they their purposes were a child who was uh, eligible for uh, college money was was their goal well, I found their uh, ancestor. I found that the ancestor was interested uh, and involved with the, the tribe. This one happened to be, was he was not a tribal member. Instead, he was a missionary to the tribe. And, and you know, he wasn't married to a tribal member. He was adopted by the tribe because he was so beloved. And at the time of his death, the newspaper accounts that I found of his funeral, um, the town where he was was a town of about 2,000 people. Uh, he was so beloved by the tribal members that on the day of his funeral, uh, there were 10,000 people who, uh, who came to that town to honor this man because of his service to the tribe. Now, the client wasn't happy because they didn't get what they wanted. They weren't eligible for tribal membership. But my goodness, the story and the account of such a beloved person, uh, I would think that would be worth worth the look. Sure. And you, you actually just started uh, the, my next question. So uh, what other surprises, uh, Billy, have you found? Is, is there another story of, of a surprise? <laughs> I, I think probably it's the one my, my husband probably likes the best. Had someone contact me, the story, family story was that their ancestor had uh, been on the Trail of Tears, and as as we learned earlier in this hour, um, there aren't comprehensive lists of those, and finding the name of somebody is not an easy task, but I searched, and I did find that their ancestor had uh, indeed been on the Trail of Tears. I had his name, unfortunately, he was not a tribal member. He was wearing a blue coat and was one of those who escorted the tribe to uh, the West. Uh, needless to say, again, uh, it was one of those where I did exactly what the client wanted. 
I found their answer, and yes, he was on the Trail of Tears, but it was not the answer that they really wanted. Interesting, interesting. So, Rick, what about you? A, a surprising story or two? Um, probably one of the most surprising ones that I had. I, I had a, a client who had hired me to. Um, they were looking for tribal uh, for for tribal enrollment, and all all the records were there. Um, and uh, one of the tribes, the tribe that they were trying to enroll with, they were disputing um, disputing the citizenship um, because they needed a uh, they needed a death record. Uh, they wanted a death certificate, which, you know, as we as we know, who can be the uh, who can be the informant on a death certificate? Just about anybody. So, um, so that 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 wasn't cutting it for the tribe. And one of the things that we started doing, or that I started doing, was looking through um, just any any possible way to exhaust the records uh, to show uh, show proof of this relationship. And um, so I so I kind of got creative and there were two two very unique pieces that I found um, one's a little more kind of accepted um, I, I used um, city directories and I used city directories in the series to, to show the relationship of a, of a mother and a son um, and how they lived in very close proximity with each other over several years um, and then the second document I used was I found a uh, I found a register of uh, it was a for National Register of Historic Places, and they had uh, they had done a study on a cemetery, uh, done done a piece for us on a cemetery in this very small town in Oklahoma that this family had resided in. And when they had um, when they had gone into uh, to uh, archive the uh, cemetery and the records in the cemetery, one of the things I noticed was a grave that had um, there was a, a grave for a, a child who happened to match the brother of my client. Um, the name was the exact same. Um, so you could see, uh, you could see that name that had been passed down uh, through a couple of generations. Um, so I was able to write that all up into a proof argument. And, uh, and subsequently I, the tribe accepted the, the uh, documentation and presented not only uh, my client, but three generations with citizenship. So that was that was one of the one of the most rewarding ones that I've I've worked on. So. Uh, very nice, very nice. Sure. Um, be, before we uh, actually uh, end our show with the last couple of questions, is there anything else uh, you would like to add uh, to any part of what we've talked about today? Um, I think one of the biggest things that I could probably stress to anybody is make make sure that you uh, and, and I think Mom did a very good job. Uh, touching on this, make sure that you uh, that you're doing um, your genealogy before you before you start delving into a lot of the um, trying to find a specific um, Indian or Native American ancestor. Make sure that you've covered all the bases first on the genealogy because a lot of times the brick walls could be the ones that um, that you're that may be that line. Um, if you can take that, if you can take your genealogy as far back as you go, then there's less questions answered and I know that's pretty uh, that's pretty obvious to most of us but it, it, it's surprising how many people um, and I think with just the nature of online genealogy these days we get a lot of people who come in with um, just the basic basic information but there's there's no depth to it there's no depth to the research so there's really no way to prove any information um, because it may just be a copy off of an online tree or something that they've slapped together just through 
through some basic research. So, so I encourage everybody to do to, uh, to if you're going to delve into Native American genealogy, um, make sure there's some diligence in, in in that the tree is or that the family trees are exhausted, that your your genealogy is exhausted before you start trying to look at very specific uh, questions. So. Okay. And Billy, anything to add? I, I believe that's it. It's don't give up. Uh, don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> seek, seek the truth rather than uh, what you want it to be, and uh, take take your blinders off and look at what the records are actually telling you. Yep. And actually, I think that's good advice for all of us, <laughs> by the yeah. way, Native Americans. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, Billy, what is your own ancestry? Uh, I'm uh, I'm a mutt. Uh, <laughs> I, I you name it, I have it uh, have it in me, and um, it's so I have. Uh, yes, uh, the reason I started doing the Native American research was on my own. Uh, I'm one of those that the family story is that there was a, a Cherokee, of course. That seems to be what everybody wants to be. Um, and so, uh, you know, I looked for years for the records, and every every place I looked, every I'm one of those that I can trace back for many generations. Just, you know, I I have them on the census rolls. Well, never was I able to find anything on uh, any record. And so I, I did have this was on my dad's, and I had uh, we had him do a, a DNA test, and also his sister, uh, and comes comes back on my dad 100% European, and on his sister 100% European. It never happens. There's usually some kind of a a mix in there. And when I presented that, you know, I already had presented all the well. Here's the, here's a, here are the documents. Here are the records that don't show this. Here's your DNA. And of course, what was my dad's response? Well, I don't care what the DNA or any other record shows. I know I'm Indian. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it, the fact is, it's it's uh, mostly European. Okay, and and so when were your first ancestors here uh, in North America? Uh, well, uh, 1600s. I don't know exactly when. Mine were Virginia, uh, and I'm, I have them very early. I haven't proved them to Jamestown yet, but it's. Um, it, I did eventually, after years and years, I did find a naturalization record on one of my ancestors. <laughs> Uh, it was 1698, was and it was a French Huguenot who'd come with the Germans uh, under William Penn, and they naturalized the you know the whole uh, the whole city. So I at least can claim somebody who was not here, uh, uh, and that still the naturalization was 1698. So uh, I. Uh, I don't know how long you have to be in America before you're just considered American, but I've been here a long time. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and is there any ancestor who has called out to you in in your research? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, Rick. <laughs> well, actually, no, um, like, actually, Billy, you, will you uh, do that one, and then, then I'll have Rick talk about his ancestry. Okay. Okay. I have an illegitimacy in uh, my line. It's one that I do have a brick wall on. It's an interesting brick wall because it, um, it, we know the name of the father, and typically on an illegitimacy, you, you know the name of the mother but not the father. What we don't know is the name of the mother. And um, it, I have a theory, uh, and it's one of those that would be best left to uh, uh, one of the reality shows that are currently on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, believe, uh, I believe the mother, uh, based on a, a lot of the things that I have, I believe that the, uh, the birth mother was the younger sister of the father's wife. And I'm sure there was a scandal. <laughs> so. Okay. All right, all right. And then, Rick, what about you? You're, you said you're adopted, uh, so what, what is your ancestry? Um, everything. I am literally everything. I have um, – <laughs> it's kind of hard to, hard to pinpoint. I have every on – my, on my paternal side, um, predominantly European, but, um, yeah, there's British Isle, there's, uh, uh, there's Dutch, which, you know, I'm really excited to, <laughs> to talk to you about that, Jane. Um, there's uh, – uh, I have uh, I've found uh, Ashkenazi, uh, which is going to be interesting to, to research some of that. So there is German, um, uh, and I do know that uh, some of the lines I have are uh, like Southern Germany. Um, and then on the maternal side, um, it is um, mostly uh, mostly Native American and uh, African American, uh, which is which is pretty unique. It's uh, I'm, 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 I've been excited researching that. Uh, and that's probably the side that calls out to me. I have an ancestor that um, there's really two that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of focused on right now. I have a, an illegitimate, same deal, an illegitimacy uh, pretty far back that, um, I, that that's been, I'm, I've found the documents for it. So I know the circumstances. Um, it's, uh, but that, that ancestor, um, Thomas Jefferson Esco, um, his daughter Letty, um, she's she's fascinating. She uh, she is she's mixed race. She is uh, Letty is identified several different ways, um, either uh, Africa. You know, uh, she's identified as black. She's identified as Indian. She's identified as white on several different records. So it's fun to kind of make a distinction, try to make a distinction as to what exactly her race is and her. For children uh, around 1900, 1910, around the turn of the century, on the census records are identified on as just about every different race you can you can, and they were all enumerated as Indians um, on on the censuses, as well as black, as well as white, on their on their Indians on their um, Indian citizenship, they were actually kicked off the rolls. Uh, they were kicked off the Creek rolls. Um, in 19, I think it was 1902, um, for being for being black, um, they fought it in a in national in in a uh, district court and won the case and were reinstated to the roles. So that's that's been one of the ones that I've really I've, I've kind of focused on that just kind of calls out to me to to keep searching and searching because again the the records there's just 
I, I know I have not kind of uncovered all the records, and uh, so I just keep searching, searching, searching. Okay. All right. And have you always known that you are Native American? Um, yeah, I grew up. Uh, I grew up knowing that I was as Native American. That was something okay. that was. Um, there was information about that, and I was given that information at a very young age. So that was something that okay. um, that I grew up uh, understanding and knowing. So. Okay. And and did you know mm-hmm. what tribe or tribes, or or yes. was that part of your yes. research? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Okay. I knew. I knew. I was. I was Muscogee Creek. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Billy and Rick. This has uh, been fascinating. I wish we had more time. Um, it's yeah. Been, uh, in- enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. All right. Uh, this is the Forget Me Not Hour. Uh, uh, your ancestors want their stories to be told. Have a good day. <laughs> 